0: Start your free trial by going to luminary.link slash note to self or download the Luminary app for free. Listener supported.
1: WNYC Studios. Hello, friend. This is an episode of Note to Self, but from when we used to be called New Tech City. Same good content, just the old name. Enjoy. Hi, New Tech City listeners. I know a lot of you are looking for other smart, witty podcasts to try, right? Well, can I suggest WNYC's On the Media? It's about the real stories and people behind the news. Check it out on the media, also from WNYC. From WNYC, this is New Tech City, where digital gets personal. I'm Manoush Zamarodi. And this month, we've got a little series going on about kids and tech. We are talking to teachers and students and app makers and parents. And this week, we are tackling specifically education technology or ed tech. You know, that's the hip term to use. What exactly is being used to teach the kid in your life? Maybe there's some blended learning happening or one-to-one going on. But what do those terms even mean? On this episode, simple definitions and a checklist of the questions you can and should be asking about what's going on in your kids' classroom. And this all came about because I'm a parent, and my four year old came home from preschool the other day and she said she'd been playing on the class computer. I mean, I didn't even know she had access to a computer. She couldn't tell me what she was doing, obviously, and she just said she was playing by herself for the afternoon. And I feel like this is happening more and more, that parents hear there's technology in the classroom, but we don't know why, and we can't rely on the kids to explain. (laughs) So that is why I wanted to have Anya Kamenetz, NPR's education blogger and the author of The Test, Why Our Schools Are Obsessed with Standardized Testing But You Don't Have to Be, and Adrienne Hill. She's in L.A. She's senior reporter for Marketplace's Learning Curve project on education and technology. Thanks for being here. Hey, Hi. Been? I'm so glad you're both here. Just to get it out there, you both are moms, right? True. A- Anya, you have a three year old? That's right. And what about you, Adrian? Yes, I have a I have a two and a half year old. So, Adrian, first of all, are you horrified and shocked at my lack of knowledge? I have a tech show and I have small children and I still have no idea what's going on in the classroom? No, and I think that's part of what's happening to everyone
2: is every school seems to be rolling it out in sort of different ways. At some places, it is systematic. In other places, a teacher gets an idea that they want to try to – use a new app and they bring it in. I think it's really, really all over the place. And as a parent, it can be completely overwhelming to try to understand what a specific teacher is doing at a specific time. And again, you're right. Kids aren't always the best relayers of that information.
1: (laughs) So Anya, there's a couple terms floating around. And for those of us who don't know exactly what they mean, blended learning, flipped classroom, how do you define them?
0: Blended learning is any use of technology in a course that also has a face-to-face element to it. The flipped classroom model is uh, basically the idea that instead of spending your class time lecturing, that uh, you make students responsible for a v- usually video-based content as their homework, and you spend class time addressing question-solving problems.
1: And Adrian, are you seeing either of those being used fairly often in classrooms now, or are they just sort of being used in more experimental schools? I think blended is actually
2: more and more common, whether they're showing videos or they're introducing games or they're introducing apps. I think the flipped model is more unusual and maybe difficult to sustain. In order for the flipped model to work, 16-year-olds or 12-year-olds have to actually go home and do their homework every night. So I think the flipped model is less common in what I've seen, but I think the blended model is really happening all over the place right
1: now. Okay. And I, let's let's go from the sort of teacher's point of view for a little while here. I want to play you um, a clip from listener. Her name is Jocelyn Brewer. She lives in Sydney, Australia. Um, and we were thrilled that we have listeners that far away. So let's listen to what she had to say. Hi there, Manoush and the New Tech City team. I'm Jocelyn. I'm a school counsellor and psychologist. I uh, work in Sydney. Learning doesn't just happen in the classroom. Learning happens in so many different places, but unfortunately a lot of teachers aren't keeping up with those changes. In some schools that I'm in, teachers using technology literally think, let's make a Word document, and that to me is really quite scary. As a parent, you can look at that both ways, right? You can be like, yay, my teacher's super tech savvy. That means she's going to totally get this and make it happen. Or you can be like, whoa, she's going to be more experimental and not focus on the fundamentals as with many things in the world, technology sort of cuts both ways.
2: And I do have concerns. If you have a a sort of bleeding edge teacher who's like, hey, I just downloaded five new apps. Let's try them out. As a parent, that would make me anxious I'd be like, wait, has somebody looked at whether or not these are actually good tools for teaching and learning? Has somebody looked at the privacy policies really closely and made Uh sure we're comfortable with those?
0: I've got an example of that, actually. You know, um, Google is expanding its education offerings and, and they got free apps, basically versions of Google Docs for the classroom. But they were also um, named in a lawsuit last year in California and forced to kind of show that even though there's no ads in their student-focused products, they were still gathering information, the same types of information that they gather when they do searches. So, so uh, information to better target future advertising. This issue with kids and technology and privacy is very, very big right now. It's not going away. And it's both inside the classroom and outside the classroom. You know, I was, I was looking up a statistic recently that, first of all, most of kids' screen time and app time from is outside the classroom, not inside the classroom. In fact, we the kids today have more screen time than they do school time.
1: There's oh, so my God. Amazing. Really?
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. Kids 8 to 18 have 7 hours a day plus of screen time. And during that time, they consume almost 11 hours because they're multitasking. Oh, my God. So It's think, wild. Yeah. It is so wild. And, I mean, not to even stop, two to five-year-olds between 2.2 and four hours a day of screen time. Okay. So <laughs> before we go any further, that
1: makes me want to go to another listener. This is Fu Cassidy. She has this exact concern. She uh, lives in Brooklyn, and she's a mother of two.
2: I come from a generation where screen time and television were, were
1: things to sort of avoid. And I'm seeing kids, are increase, including my own, are increasingly resorting to using their phones and technology to engage with the outside world. And it, it concerns me in the long term how well they might be able to communicate in the real world. So what Fu is worried about and what I am worried about also is that, like, if my four-year-old has been looking at the computer for two hours in school and then she comes home and she wants to watch a Sesame Street, hasn't she maxed out on her screen time according to the American Association of Pediatrics?
0: The research is way not conclusive right now about the impact of technology. The the famous kind of AAP, you know, no screen time before age two and now they say no more than two hours a day. Almost every single family is exceeding that, low-income and high-income families alike. So, you know, the best recommendations that are out there, the best practices have to do with uh, really knowing what content your kids are consuming, which goes to your point.
2: You know, as a parent, I'll say, though, that this is a really stressful territory for me and my husband. We we tried to keep as closely as we could to no screen time before, too, because that's a nice, solid rule. But now that we're post-two, yeah. we have lots of disagreements just among ourselves about, you know, I'm I'm still happy with as little screen time as possible. But last time we were at the pediatrician, my husband was asking the pediatrician, hey, if we keep our kid off a tablet or phones too long, are we actually hurting his development? Are we going to set him back? <laughs> <laughs> in the world where every other kid already knows how to use an iPad. Um, and I and I think as a parent, so much of this is fraught in so many ways.
1: Adrian, that is exactly it, right? Like, I want to be a good parent. I want my kid to be as ready for the future as he or she possibly can be and have all the skills they need at the same time I want him to be a kid, right? Exactly. I mean, at the same
2: time, I want my child to be a kid and to go splash in mud puddles and not to worry about learning to code at age four, you know. And I <laughs> and I feel like, I, I mean, one thing I think about ed tech as I think about myself as a parent is just how do you begin to make these decisions for your own children when there's all this pressure to get it right um, and all of these new tools that parents in the past didn't – and, and new questions that parents in the past weren't really weren't faced with in the same way.
0: You want to add to that? Yeah. Well, if, if you don't mind. Please, I you mean, go. you know, first of all, like, our parents dealt with this when it came to television. And we, we had certain images of that, and, and the pendulum really swung widely. And I think the new kinds of digital technology are more complicated because they also have more promise. I mean, we pretty much know that passive screen viewing is something that is – like sugar, right? It's right. A, it's, a, it's, it's in some families it's a treat. <laughs> it is so addictive. We, we it's addicted for everyone. See, I'm going to disagree with you on this because
1: I have decided to do something that might be very controversial. <laughs> but I have decided I prefer passive screen because really? yes, because I think that the games are providing. I just see this um, the swiping, the swiping, the swiping, the swiping, the tilting, the tilting, the tilting. This constant feedback coming into my kids' brains that sort of turns them into little mice you don't like how addictive it is no whereas if it's passive
0: it's got to be good because there's got to <laughs> be a storyline and there's got to be like we're more about ter- in terms of time so we limit all our screen time to saturdays saturdays that's okay. how we do it saturdays are you know Mom is hungover or whatever. We're overslept. We're yeah, mom. In. All right. And like we're putting on the movie, and it's a Disney movie. Usually, it's not like something stellar. Yeah. Um. But but it's one day a week, and that saves us from having the argument every day. So I guess
1: it's kind of dull. But again and again, it comes down to finding what rules work for you, for your family, and then sticking to them. Coming up, the best case scenario, what a classroom that has tech figured out looks like and our rapid fire guide to the questions you should be asking when your school tells you that the iPads are coming. As I mentioned, this episode is part of our kids and tech series this month. And if you missed last week, I talked to this super inspiring teacher from Arizona who teaches mostly immigrant middle schoolers. I don't think enough people are having this conversation with kids uh, at that age. I think the general population doesn't have a clue where to start. She's made a survey and a lesson plan to get them thinking. And we have worked with her to turn that survey and lesson plan into something that any teacher can use to start a constructive, open conversation with any middle schooler about technology. You can get it at newtechcity.org techtalk tech talk and be in touch if you are a teacher and you want to try it out or let us know what happens when you use it in your classroom. Hey, New Tech City listener, you obviously love deep conversations about the hyperfast world that we live in. So if you haven't loaded it up already, definitely check out On the Media, hosted and edited by the very sassy and ridiculously knowledgeable Brooke Gladstone. I love her, truly. Her office is upstairs from mine, and she's been like a mentor to me. I feel so much smarter every week I listen. You will, too. On the Media, also from WNYC. Back, it's New Tech City from WNYC. I'm Anoush Zamarodi, and we're getting a primer on what tech is in the classroom and what it's doing there from Anya Kamenetz of NPR and Adrian Hill of Marketplace, my public radio friends and mamas. And one of the tough trade-offs that we keep coming back to in this conversation is that we need to prepare the next generation for a digital world, for working in that digital
0: world, but also. We don't want to plop them in front of a computer or a tablet too early. Whether you love them as a teaching tool, it's kind of hard to argue that this is the way that offices are going to look in the 21st century and that students need to know how to use these things.
1: Yeah, but come on. It takes like – couldn't you be a little older than nine or can? or am I Before just, you know I, how to type an essay. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I don't know why I... Look, I do know why I feel so strongly about this. It's because I have a seven-year-old, as I've mentioned, who has struggled with writing. And one of the first things they did was they gave him an iPad to use his finger for writing, which mm. is okay. I'm interested in game for that but nobody mentioned it to me Hmm. but then when i said to them i'm like well i'm a little worried like you know i'd like him to have decent handwriting i love like i have beautiful handwriting (laughs) um and they said well you know what does it really matter because he's gonna be typing pretty soon anyway and i just wonder wow yeah right so Mm -hmm. i just wonder like well obviously they have been convinced that that's the future. I'm not saying he needs to like you know know how to use a quill, but <laughs> I,
0: I do want him to be able to write. And I, I'm not even saying cursive because I've given up on that. But <laughs> well, so there's two issues here, right? One is this is a fast changing world, and figuring out what the competencies, what are the 21st century skills, what do students really need? You can't teach everything. We love, we would love to teach everything. We would love to teach calligraphy and butter churning and <laughs> bike riding and kite flying butter and you know and social and emotional skills so like the priority list keeps changing and mm-hmm. oftentimes i feel like we're dealing with what's urgent rather than what's important and that conversation's not as informed by research as we would like it to be i mean there's nascent evidence about the power of cursive the power of handwriting for memory yes. these things are really important Um, The other aspect of what I hear from you is about the communication of these things. I mean, I feel like there's lack of communication all across the board. And ironically, a lot of the ed tech companies that I've seen are trying to bridge that communication divide. Like there's messaging apps for teachers where, you know, you as a parent could log on and see what the kid's doing in class every day, have a dashboard, have that conversation. So people are talking about uh, computer possibly bridging the classroom and home divide and sort of lear- taking learning home with you.
2: But the flip side of that, that I've heard from other parents who are in the schools where they have these dashboards, is that now all of a sudden as a parent you have an obligation to be sort of checking your kids' homework assignments at the end of every day. And you have the obligation to go online every day and see what their grades are. And it does seem like, again, it sort of (laughs) pushes more and more responsibility to parents and changes the relationship. I mean, I remember as a kid, like, my parents had to trust me when I said I had finished my homework. And I actually think there was a value in that relationship. And in some way, it changes the dynamics and the trust between kids and their parents
1: about sort of what's happened at school.
0: Just like when we got email and we suddenly had to work on weekends.
1: Right. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. In the last five minutes, I want to uh, sort of look towards the future and ask you some more rapid fire questions. But first I want to give you, um, we had a listener named Betsy Cates. She lives in Austin, New York. She has been teaching for 26 years. And she says, um, we've been asked more and more as teachers to rely on data, Um, But when it comes to eight-year-olds, I really don't think it gives the full picture. What sort of things is she referring to, Anya? And and what is she being asked as a teacher to learn from the data?
0: So, you know, the last 15 years since No Child Left Behind, essentially, we have seen an explosion in the amount of standardized assessments, tests that kids are taking every single day in school. And the good side of this is the idea that you can get this very granular information and use it to inform instruction. So you're hearing references to things like this child is at a second grade nine-month reading level, you know, and we want to get them to a fourth grade one-month reading level. You know, teachers are very divided on the benefits of that because, yes, it is quite limited. But I also have heard from teachers who find it incredibly motivating and important and that these kinds of tests, very, you know, small, granular assessments can help give information about student growth that maybe the annual tests don't capture. You want to add to that at all, Adrienne? You know, schools – can collect, they have been collecting
2: all sorts of data on us all along, but now there's a place for it to live where a a student's record can really follow them from grade to grade and from school to school. And in many ways, that can help a teacher understand where a kid is, where a kid is struggling, if a kid has been tested for special ed, if they need to be tested for special ed, and having a sort of full data record that's accessible can be really helpful in keeping all the teachers, all the counselors on the same page working to help that kid out and get them to graduation. I think on the other side of the data is really this question of, do we need to think differently about how we use this data to label kids? You know, there are lots of states and systems, um, I'm trying to think of how to describe this, early warning systems is what they're called, and they basically help teachers understand whether a kid is on or off track for graduation. But in some states, The systems actually give teachers a percentile. So they'll say Adrian has a a 20 percent chance of graduating from high school and Anya has an 80 percent chance of graduating from high school. And my concern with that is if you're a teacher looking at a classroom of 80s, you're not going to, you know, what do you do with that 20? Do you just give up on that 20? And so what I worry about with data in the classroom is how much we don't want it to be a point where we're predicting kids' futures.
1: We have uh, parent-teacher conferences coming up, and here in New York, the Department of Education h- h- sends each parent—I think every parent—a checklist of questions that you should be asking your kid's teacher, like, "How do I know if you know my son or daughter is keeping up?" sort of thing. I think it would be useful to also have a questionnaire that parents could use to ask about tech in the classroom. So I'm going to ask you a couple issues, and you guys tell me what's the question that a parent should be asking. Does that make okay. sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. So we are really thinking about trying to raise money for our school so that we can get one tablet per kid. Anya, you go first. What should I be asking?
0: Um, what training and development resources are you providing to teachers to use these effectively? Um, what percentage of the money that you're raising is going to go to evaluating the outcome of this? Ooh, good questions. Okay. What about you, Adrian? Okay. And
2: that, So I would add a why. I, I want some, someone to articulate, right? We have to think beyond the device to what are you doing with it? And then I want to know what software are you putting on it? What curriculum are you planning to teach kids using these devices? And what do we know about how successful that software has been in the past?
1: Okay, so here's the hypothesis. Okay, The school says we are going to blended, personalized learning. And I'm a parent and I'm like, oh, my God, buzzwords. Wait, what should I be asking? What does that actually mean? Okay, so how do I parse what that means for my kid? You want to go first, Adrian? I would start by
2: saying give me an example of what my my son or daughter's school day will look like. Walk me through what that day will look like. How will the expectations of my child change? How will
0: expectations that you have of me as a parent change in this model? Okay. And what about you, Anya? Those are great questions. And also, um, how will I be able to know what's going on? How much information are you sharing outside the classroom with the personalized learning model and the blended learning model? And then
1: we think games are the way forward with getting kids to engage with the material. So we're going to be using a lot of um, games in the classroom.
0: Well, I would ask what uh, what are the con- what concepts are the games trying to evoke? Is it about delivering content, memorization, or are there higher order skills that you're trying to um, work on with the help of these games?
1: And I guess the other thing I would ask is, what if my kid doesn't like games? <laughs> I know. Nobody ever thinks that's a possibility, that there's a kid who doesn't like games. But I think
2: some kids really don't like games. And I I think that's an important thing that teachers have to take seriously as they start introducing these things into the classrooms. And I think it's important that we understand that not every kid is the same and not every kid loves every piece of technology
1: just because it's technology. And that's okay? (laughs) Sure. Is it? Is it okay? Somebody's got to be a blacksmith. (laughs) Right. Okay, my very last question of all, paint for me the ideal picture. And I know that ideal doesn't exist. But as good as we're going to get of what a classroom, elementary school classroom, can look like, and maybe you've actually seen this, like a classroom
0: or a teacher who you think is just nailing it. Do you want to go first, Anya? Sure. So number one, um, I, so I visited a classroom uh, using Khan Academy. The teacher was a former NASA recruit total level of comfort and enthusiasm with the, with the technology, um, use the technology to um, pull out and work with kids in small groups so that the other kids would be occupied, use the technology in a gamified way so that the whole class is working together cooperatively to solve hard math problems, use the technology to flip the classroom so that she could spend more time doing enrichment projects. And these were remedial math students who were about to check out of math. Um, you know, seventh grade, going to check out a math, and she brought them forward to working on grade level within a really short period of time because of the excitement of the new technology, which is engaging in and of itself, along with how skillfully she blended it in the ways that each student needed. Beautiful. Okay. What about you, Adrienne?
2: I don't know if I can do nearly as good a job as Anya just did. But I would say that I'd like to see technology be one more really interesting tool that, teachers use to teach kids about the world around them. So I still want to see elementary schools with hamsters and fish in them. And I still want big easels for painting and real paint instead of just digital paint. But then I want teachers to use online tools and resources to help kids think in new ways about new things, about things they can't get a hold of in the classroom. And again, sort of understand that there are so many different avenues to learn things, and technology can be one really powerful avenue, but it's not the only one.
1: Thank you both so, so much. Anya Kamenetz is NPR's education blogger. She's the author of The Test, Why Our Schools Are Obsessed with Standardized Testing, But You Don't Have to Be. And Adrienne Hill, she's senior reporter for Marketplace's Learning Curve Project on education and technology. Mamas, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, parents, we have done the homework for you. We compiled the questions that you might want to ask about technology in your kid's school. We've made a handy-dandy checklist. You can get it at newtechcity.org. Print it out. Take it with you to parent-teacher conferences. Be that informed and engaged parent. If you don't have a kid and you made it this far, well, obviously you realize how important it is that we get purposeful about the technology we put in front of the next generation. So send this episode to a parent you know. And the best way of all to keep up with us is to subscribe to our newsletter. It's like a cheat sheet that we create every week. And links to all of this is, of course, at our website, newtechcity.org. Next week, how technology is helping teenagers at the Texas School for the Blind. A very special visit. If you think you know teenagers who love their touchscreen phones, you have no idea until you hang out with these kids. Kind of counterintuitive, right?
2: I like it a lot here. The only thing I really don't do is like swimming. Swim team. Can't mess up my hair.
1: (laughs) See you next week. I'm Anoush Samarodi. This is New Tech City from WNYC. Right, I have a question for you. What would you like to have in your classroom? I'm like a monkey city and a uh, wee-wee-die and lots of stuff.